0: So as we go back to Nehemiah, we, uh, we think about this construction site, and construction sites are, are always something that draws people. They, we just enjoy watching something being built. We like to see the, the, uh, the foundation, the frames going up. We, uh, we love to see the end product. This would, what made uh, HGTV such a, a hit. People just love being a part of something that is growing and is building. And if you find a, a large building project and there's like a wood fence that surrounds it, inevitably you'll find somewhere where there's a knothole that's been punched out so that the curious can look through and peer in to see what's going on. So as we open this chapter three of Nehemiah, we are that person who, is, who has their eye pressed against the crack in the fence and we are watching this building project and what we see is a beehive of activity. We hear the sounds of construction, we hear the, the sounds of the chisels and the, and, and, the, and the stone and the hammers, we, we hear the creaks of the pulleys as they lift the heavy heavy timber into place for the gates. And we we hear the, the voices of those who are giving directions, the managers, and we hear the groans of those whose backs are being tested because of lifting the heavy rocks. So if you like watching people work, then you're gonna love Nehemiah chapter three, because here we find an amazing sight of organization and of getting a job finished. So let's go, let me turn our attention to Nehemiah 3 and to read the first four verses of this portion. Nehemiah 3, beginning with verse one, it says the high priest Eliashib and his fellow priests began, began rebuilding the sheep gates they dedicated it and installed its doors. After building the wall to the Tower of the Hundred and the Tower of Hananel, they dedicated it. The men of Jericho built next to Eliashib and next to them, Zechor, son of Emery, built. The sons of Heshanah built the fish gate. They built it with beams and installed its doors, bolts, and bars. Next to them, Meramoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hedak, or Hechak, Hechaz, uh, made repairs. Beside them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Mehezebel, made repairs. Next to them, Zedek, the son of Baana, made repairs. See, it goes on like this for 32 verses, describing these people. Now, this is a record of names. It's a record of those families and those individuals that had a part in this good work. And Nehemiah was one who gave attention to the details. And he wrote it all down in his diary, because that's what we're reading, is, is his personal journal. And so he wrote all of these names down because he wanted documentation of the families and the individuals and he wanted to also mention the portion of the wall that they, they built. Now you may think that there is very little that can be found in this, this section with all of these names. I mean it just kind of goes on for all of these verses but you know there, there you might be surprised there are diamonds that can be found just below the surface. And there are gold nuggets that are scattered among the pebbles of a a stream, and so let's take some time to, to peer into this chapter and to see some of these nuggets, and I think we'll find a few. From our study that we enjoyed last week, Nehemiah is described as having secretly inspected the walls at night, and then after having inspected the next day, we listened to him present to the people what my God laid on my heart to do, 2-12. And so in explaining to them, he, he wanted um, to help the, the residents see that they had been living with this debris all of these years. And, and it seemed like they had just resigned themselves to say, well, that's just the way it is. So it took this outsider, Nehemiah, to step into this situation and to help them see that this is is entirely unacceptable. To allow this to remain as it is. And he had to instill into their minds that had been clouded by discouragement. He needed to instill vision and, and a sense of energy. And, and, to, and, to, and to see that it was worth the effort. Let us rebuild, he told them. And so in his speech, the first thing that he sought to do was to help them see that they were in trouble. We see that in 2.17, where we read, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned. come let's rebuild Jerusalem's walls so that we may no longer be in disgrace. He wanted to help them see that every day that they allowed this to continue was putting themselves in jeopardy. They were vulnerable to invaders. But more than that, Jerusalem was the city of God. It was the city of the great king. And so this was a disgrace against him as well. And so he wanted to help them see this and and told them in essence and said, we can't just sit by and allow this to continue. Well, so God used Nehemiah, his passion, because he must have been quite an emotional guy, and his persuasiveness and his leadership and his strong belief, that God was with them. And using all of this, he stirred up the citizens so that we find in 2.18, they said, let's start rebuilding and their hands were strengthened to do this good work. Now today, what I hope to accomplish is to, is to help you see that um, there are features mentioned here that you will find whenever God's people come together for a good work, features that are found in a local church, like Legacy. And you'll find these features wherever God has joined together Christians, people who love him and understand the vision. And so let's take a look at these features and I wanna mention three of them that are found in this chapter. The first of the features that you will find when God brings people together for a unified purpose is that we put aside our differences to serve our Lord Jesus Christ. We put aside those things that would otherwise divide us or to put us in camps or, or, or even in attitude or an agenda because when God calls us to do a good work, we find that he calls all kinds of people. Think of the variety they're even found within this room today. Because you you have listed here a a great variety. I would imagine that there were those in this company who were working on the wall who had never or rarely even lifted a hammer. And and there had to be many who, who didn't know the first thing about how to hang a gate. This massive, how do you do this? And yet they showed up to work. And and so let's look at the variety of people that we find here. Beginning with verse 8. Verse 8 mentions, A man, Uziel, the son of Harariah, the the goldsmith, made repairs, and next to him Hananiah. the the son of a perfumer, made repairs. Here you have a goldsmith, a craftsman, along with a perfumer, who are working together on a portion of the wall. This was not their, they weren't construction workers. One guy was one who probably made jewelry. And the other guy mixed together elements that produced perfume. And yet they said, here we are, count us in. We wanna be a part of this. In verse 12, we have, um, we have a man along with his daughters, Shalom, ruler of, of uh, half the district of Jerusalem, made repairs, he and his daughters, a dad and his daughters showed up. In verse 19, this is interesting, Ezra, son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, made repairs to another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the angle. Well, Mizpah, if you look at your geography, is about 10 miles away from, from Jerusalem, and he was a ruler of Mizpah. Let's say that he was the mayor of Mizpah, and lived 10 miles away, but said, you guys are doing a good work, count me in. Imagine a a city 10 miles from here. And let's imagine that they would say, count me in. I want to be a part of this. You find in verse 26, temple servants who are mentioned. They didn't want to be left out. Verse 13, if you back up to verse 13, you have the inhabitants of Zenoa who repaired the valley gate, they rebuilt it and installed its doors, bolts, and bars, and repaired, get this, 500 yards of the wall to the dung gate. The whole city of Zenoa, or the town, showed up. And not only did they repair the the gate, but they repaired 500 yards of the gate are of the city walls and then in verse 21 another interesting nugget where you find beside him Merimuth made repairs to another section from the door of Eliashib's house to the end of his house it was just a few feet that was his job you see so you've got this whole town that shows up does 500 yards and you got the other is just does a few feet, each having their own assignment. It's quite interesting here because something amazing happens. Whenever you bring people together for a shared work, you've got a mayor who's laying bricks alongside of servants. He could have said, this is not my job. I mean, he's an elite. He's a mayor. And yet He would have been working next to servants, those in the lower part, but they're all doing the same job. They've all got bruised knuckles and skinned knees, and they understand that this is about something bigger than us. And a father and his daughters getting their assignment completed, and probably grandfathers, grandsons working side by side, you've got a priest, working next to a gold merchant, to a jeweler, to a craftsman, and all it goes on and on. And all of these differences that they brought with them seemed to fade because it wasn't about me. It was about us and the the work that was to get done. And they were sweaty and dusty and sore, but everybody was getting her done. And in a lot of ways, the variety that we see here is is almost like a cross-section of a local church. The work of God is accomplished by those who make themselves available. Are you available? They love Jesus and they want to serve wherever he calls them because they want to be a part of an assignment to repair the wall. Count me in. And so you find different nationalities in a local church and different family roots. We live in different neighborhoods, different ages, different political opinions. What a spectrum we might be surprised to find within this room today. Of all of these differences, but what is the glue that holds us together It's our love for Jesus Christ. And we subordinate all of these other things because of our love for him. Now let me give you an illustration. Among the 12 disciples there were men who who otherwise had nothing in common among those 12. And And the only thing they really had in common was that they were following Jesus. For instance, you've got Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot got his name before he ever was a disciple because he was a militant fanatic, an anti-Roman revolutionary who had strong political opinions. Now, what do you think he thought about Matthew Levi, who was a tax collector for the Roman government. How do you think those two guys got along? You've got one who's a political activist and revolutionary, and another one who's perceived as a Roman ally. And yet they're both following Christ. How different these two must have been in their backgrounds, and yet they put it all aside. And if you'd ask Simon the Zealot and Matthew Levi, what's bringing you two guys together? I mean, how do you guys get along? We're following him. We're following Jesus. That's, That's who we are. But your name is Simon the Zealot. Yeah, but I'm a follower of Christ. I'm following him. One of the features of the early days of the church was was their unity. And again, understand that it was made up of all kinds of people and opinions and personalities, yet we find in Acts 4.32, now the entire group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed to have any of his possessions as his own, but instead they held everything in common How does that happen? It happens because they all came together for one purpose and that is to follow Jesus. Galatians 3.28 talks about the bond that unifies us and written within the context of the Apostle Paul, but we could transpose it easily up to our own day. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So you see the distinctives, and we don't erase those because they're part of our story, but they are subordinated for something greater, and that is our love for Jesus Christ and that we're serving him and we're repairing a section of the wall, and we're doing it side by side. You don't maybe even know the person you're sitting beside and how they are completely different than you. And yet here you are singing the same songs, worshiping together. What a variety we have within this company of people. I'm talking about our our true identity of who we are and our primary identity is not our address. It, It isn't the job or the title or the station that we have in life. It isn't our ethnicity or whether we're male or female or our education or our family name or our politics or the church denomination that maybe we came from but our identity is what we find in Galatians 3 and it says we belong to Christ that's who we are and all of these other differences while they're they're part of our story but but they are subordinated, again, to to Jesus Christ. And so when we come together to worship, that's the most important thing, is Jesus. Now, when you come to legacy, you leave those non-essentials outside. And we come together because we wanna lift up Christ because we belong to him, and that's the only distinctive that matters is that we exalt the Lord. Because we've all been bought by the same blood of Jesus. And we have all been sinners, saved by grace, through Christ, all of us. And there is nobody who can say, well, I'm different. No, no, we're all the same. And and so we all belong to Christ and that overshadows everything. That's the glue that holds us together as a church. And those other things, if you've got, a, if you've got an agenda, leave it outside. And, and if you've got a certain particular distinctive that you want to, to, to use as leverage or, and you want to make sure that your perspective is, is the one that wins the day, leave it outside we need to come together with one purpose, just as those builders did. The broken walls of Jerusalem were repaired by people who otherwise had really nothing in common, except for the fact that it was us. And we belong to the work crew of the Lord. So if you'd ask the mayor, or if you'd ask the servant or the jeweler, Or anyone else on this, they would have said, well, who are you? Well, I'm part of the work crew for the Lord. No, no, but what do you do? Well, it doesn't really matter. I'm part of the work crew for the Lord. And that's us as we come together at this local church. Now, what other feature do we see here? Among Christians who come together, when they have a unified purpose, and that is that we view our service as worship to the Lord. Again, it's, it's about him, and I'm doing it as unto him, so that we give him praise, and we give him acclaim, and we declare him as Lord through our service, through our work, whether it be another part of the building with the kids whether it be right here or the outside in the community whatever it may be we're doing it as unto the Lord. Nehemiah 3 verse 1 states that the 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 priests completed the sheep gate and then they dedicated it and they set it apart unto the Lord and then they dedicated the wall that led up to the the tower of the hundred and the tower of Hananel and and the sheep gate was the first gate that you would have gone through to get into the temple precincts, and you would have gone past the towers as well. But they—but what's interesting is in verse one it says that they dedicated it. Well, what does that mean? It means that they they consecrated it unto the Lord. To dedicate means to to make it holy. To 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 understand and publicly acknowledge that God owns this, that it belongs to him. And one may say, well, how can you dedicate just bricks and mortar? Well, you can. We see that that even in the tabernacle where the utensils that they used in, in the work, they were dedicated to the Lord exclusively. He owned them and the furniture as well. We, we read in the scripture that your body, that that you're sitting here today, your very body is dedicated unto the Lord. It belongs to it doesn't belong to you. First Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God and you are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. Even our time and our plans are dedicated and consecrated unto him. That's the whole point of James uh, 4, 13 through 16, where someone says, well, we're going to go to a certain city and we're going to conduct a business there for a year. And James says to th- to such a person said that's a very arrogant and presumptuous thing to say that that this is what you're going you don't have control over that And and he said when you think about tomorrow you ought to say we will go and do thus and so if the Lord wills we have given and committed our plans to the Lord and understand that he is sovereign He's sovereign over the healing of our bodies. And I know that you've prayed about that and you've given that to God, but he's the one who's sovereign. If you've consecrated your body to him, then it's in his hands and it's okay because he's the one who owns it. Therefore, all of life, whether it be our body or our time or our service or our job, our family, our children, our future, it should all consciously, deliberately be set aside unto God as an act of worship. So that the joy of the Lord that strengthened the hands of the Jews, why they approached it with such glee and what was a such determination was because they understood that they weren't just laying bricks or laying stones. This is bigger than that. This is about worshiping God. So yeah, my back hurts, and my arms feel weak, and I know I don't hardly know what I'm doing here, but I'm doing it as an act of worship to the Lord, and had all kinds of people doing that for those weeks as they were building. Now there's a third element or a third feature we could say that we will find within a local church or within a company that come together to serve the Lord, and it's this. The third is that we are a zeal. A zeal awakens us and sets us on fire for the Lord. And, you know, when Nehemiah called the Jews together uh, to rebuild the walls, they had been slumbering for years. They'd been basically asleep, living with the debris. And you know how it is. You just see something day after day and suddenly just sort of disappears as part of the landscape of life. But they had lived with these demolished walls and it really didn't even bother them. They they had become so accustomed to it and there was an indifference that had stifled any kind of vision of what could be. But God used Nehemiah to waken them and to set them on fire. And they had an energy and one guy in particular stuck out, and he's found in verse 20. His name is Baruch. And it says that he diligently repaired another section from the angle of the door of the house of the high priest Eliashib. Now Baruch was one who, it says, diligently worked. Isn't it interesting that he, he was—he was. He, his whole attitude was so transparent that—and and the way—I mean, he was like a machine. The way that he dove into this work every single day. He shows up to work, and Nehemiah noticed this and said, "I got to write that down. How diligently!" The King James says he earnestly repaired. The New American Standard says. He zealously repaired. It means that he worked with all of his might. I mean, this guy was on fire. And he came every day with this earnestness and this zeal. And he put such energy into it. It must have been contagious. You know, Baruch, you know, in Hebrew, it means blessing. And he was a blessing to be around and a blessed and favored man. And it was all about him, even his countenance and the way that he worked. Now, you contrast Baruch with what we find in verse 5, where we find, and this is really a shame, that the Tekoites the repaired, but it says their nobles did not lift a finger to help their supervisors. How about that? Didn't even lift a finger. Why do you think that is? Why did they say, count me out? I don't want anything to do with this. Why? What would you say would be the reason? Was it pride? Was it unbelief? Was it that they inwardly hoped that the whole enterprise would fail? But here they are inscribed in eternal scripture. Wow, what an embarrassment. But they would not lift a finger to help out. They, they couldn't see that this was God's work. That he's among us, even at fellow, at, uh, among the fellowship here at, at Legacy, God is here, this is God's work. And can you imagine somebody among our company here who would say, Count me out. I don't want to lift a finger to be a part of what God is doing at Legacy. I hope that that kind of thing wouldn't be descriptive of you. But they missed the blessing, didn't they? Because they stood apart from everyone else. So zeal. Zeal asks the question, what can I give to the Lord? And it begins with ourselves begins with our own bodies and minds and hearts it begins with our family and how we conduct ourselves in the home how we conduct ourselves before our children and with our spouse and in in a godly manner and then of course outside of the home but zeal has a mindset where we are at peace with god and we love him and there is a blazing love for him And it's like it's ignited by the Holy Spirit for the things of God. We love the things of God. And it gives us zeal to say, count me in. I want to be a part of where he's at work. So let me ask you, what are you giving your life to? Is your name written in heaven? Because that's where it starts we don't even have to talk any further unless that's been covered is your name inscribed in the book of life in heaven and and can you give a a testimony to that today you see i don't know the backgrounds of many of of the people here but you know you can you can be a part of a church where there's a form of religion and you go about the business and the parking lot is full and the lights are on and they're conducting services. But yet the power of God is, is missing. And that within that group, they know nothing about the power of God that saves. So you can you can be a part of that and feel like you're, you're okay with the Lord. But I'm telling you, you fail to see your need of righteousness in Jesus Christ and that only through Christ can you find a right relationship with God that apart from the forgiveness of our sin which is the the door that opens the way and repentance and turning from idols and turning from what we were invested in, in our own self-righteousness and turning exclusively to Jesus Christ, unless we do that, we are outside of Christ. We have a form of religion, but that's all it is. It's missing the power. So what are you giving your life to? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal savior? And then beyond that, Christians. God requires faithfulness. You know, just show up, just show up. I remember on a construction project at a former church and, and the, 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 the man, the general contractor who was, was leading it, said, you know, I, I, I've got room for more people to, to work here, but they've got to show up. He said some of the the people that I hire, they don't show up. Well, that's part of being faithful. Show up, showing up means that we are completing what God has laid on our heart to do. So that if the Holy Spirit has brought to your attention a need, maybe a need right here at Legacy or perhaps outside or within, within your school, your campus, your workplace, within the community here, if God is showing you a need and has prompted you to act upon that and has laid that upon your heart and it's a compelling need, then show up. It's called faithfulness. And, and it starts, it starts with us. It, it starts uh, with ourselves and then extends out in, in the community. It's a ministry that we do for the Lord. So what does God put on your heart to do? Here we have in this this chapter a list of names, Nehemiah 3, that is forever in Holy Scripture. This is eternal. It's always going to be there. And God thought it was necessary for him to include that in in the Bible in order for us to see this as an example. Great things can be accomplished for those who show up and join in where God is at work and invited them to be a part of that. Nehemiah, he was just asking people to be, be available. He, he wasn't putting out and say, well, you gotta send in your resume and make sure that you had a history in building and construction. No, he says, I just want you to show up wherever, whatever your background, whatever your talents, whatever your skill set." Just be here and and be ready to be put to work for the Lord. And people did. And you know, what's interesting, this company of just ordinary people rebuilt this wall 52 days. And, And the enemies must have been like, I can't believe it. But they did. And it was because first of all, they put their differences aside They put God as first, and everything else was subordinate. They served the Lord as an act of worship, lifting rocks, clearing out debris, you know, and having bloody knuckles and everything else that goes with it, but I'm doing it because I love the Lord. It's an act of worship. And then strengthen your hands with zeal and give your very best effort to the Lord. And then finally, as a bonus to it all, just show up. Be on hand, say I'm available. Is there a spot? Well, put me to work. What can I do? Because I'm here to contribute to this good work. Let's pray. Our God, we look at this and we feel a certain energy that is a challenge to us and we look at our own lives and hearts and we examine ourselves before this chapter and we ask ourselves would we have been among that company who said put me to work well here we find ourselves in 2024 at legacy and we ask that um, that you would not only show us really the root of our heart and are we coming by setting aside our own differences or, or do we have a secret agenda? We pray that you would also energize us with zeal so that whatever we do wouldn't be about us and finding someone patting us on the back or or making a name for ourselves, but it would be an act of worship unto you. And Lord, we pray that you would give us success. Even as we go to work tomorrow, pray that we would go with a right attitude, that we would go with a, a sense that we're doing this for Jesus. Even if we're working among difficult people or we have a pressure cooker kind of a job, Lord, help us to always do that as an act of worship unto you.